good to see everybody here for worship. I uh, wanted to let you know a few things. One, we have... Justin and Rachel just got married, this couple right here in the front. And so they just got married, and they just got back from their honeymoon. So this is Justin and Rachel Guadagno, and, and they are members of our church. And I just wanted to let everyone know that they're here, and be sure to congratulate them and all of that. So also, there is a film crew that you may have seen um, out in the hallway, and um, they are representatives of the California um, Southern Baptist Convention. And they are here because our church, we got started four and a half years ago, and they, as a convention, supported us to get started. Um, the Baptist Convention gave us resources, money to help us get started, and for the first couple of years, they actually supported us with a monthly check for $1,000, which is, is very you know, significant to get the church off the ground for the first couple of years. And, um, and as a way to give back, um, we participate in different missions offerings, and so some of what comes in each week, goes out to a few places, and so some of, of what we receive in the offering actually goes back to the um, Baptist Convention so they can support other new works, new churches that are being started. And so um, they actually have an offering coming up called the California Missions Offering where they're asking a 1,000 churches in California to give $1,000 towards this big offering to raise a million dollars to help start new churches in California and for the purpose of having events that would reach uh, new families. And so um, we're going to be one of those thousand churches. And so they're here just getting some film footage of um, our service. They're taking interviews of some of the people um, that have come to know Jesus Christ um, through interacting either through events of our church or relationships within our church. And so just wanted you to be aware. One of the guys is setting up a camera right now. We didn't do anything wrong. We're not being broadcasted tonight on Dateline for something we did. And you're all incriminated now because you're here. No, nothing like that. So in case you're wondering, just act natural is what they told me. So act natural. (laughs) Well, today we're launching a message series called Box Office Wisdom. You see that on the front of your bulletin, and you'll see there's this little insert in here. And we're going to be looking at um, seven different movies over the next few months. And I'm going to tell you why we're doing that throughout this message. Today is a backdrop message explaining why we can actually appreciate movies that come out of Hollywood. You might wonder, can we appreciate anything that comes out of Hollywood? I want to talk about how we can actually appreciate some of the movies that come out of Hollywood. And then secondly, I want to talk about why we really need to evaluate the ideas that come out of Hollywood. Most of us are going to watch movies this summer. Most of us are going to flood to a few movies and we're going to be all fired up, get the big tub of popcorn, the giant you know, thing of drink that costs you like $10, and, you know, we're going to be there with our drink and our popcorn and we're going to be taking it all in. And we, what I want to do is talk about how do we evaluate the ideas that are coming at us in the movies that we're going to be exposed to this summer. The stories of a culture carry the values of that culture. So the stories we hear from Hollywood, those stories in those movies carry the, the, the cultural values. And so the movie makers are the storytellers of our day. Jesus himself was a master at telling stories. He was a storyteller. He loved, he didn't have film, so he used parables or short stories to communicate eternal truths about God and his kingdom. A parable is this short story, and it's, it's basically an eternal truth wrapped up in, in an everyday story, something that you and I would recognize or would have recognized if we lived at the time when Jesus was on the earth about 2,000 years ago. 
So he'd use these things called parables. He'd say, there was a man who did this, or there was, there was this lady who did that, or there was a farmer who went out to, to sow some seeds in the field. He used these everyday stories to communicate eternal truths. The word parable, I want to break it down. It, it's a Greek word that combines two other Greek words. It's a Greek compound word. And so parable, the Greek word is parabole. It means para is a prefix that means alongside. And bole, it comes from the verb balo, which is a Greek word that means to cast or to throw. The reason I remember that is because in seminary I had to learn all these Greek and Hebrew words and I'd think of strange ways to remember things. And so to remember the Greek word balo, I would remember throw because it means to throw or to cast. So you throw a balo, right? So that's how I remembered the Greek word balo. You throw a balo. And I'm on my test. Balo. Throw a balo. To throw. To throw. To throw. To cast. To throw. You have to drill these things into your head when you're studying. And so that's how I did it. So para or parabole, it means to throw or to cast alongside. So a parable is when Jesus would share a story to cast it alongside something else in order to compare the story to something he's addressing an interaction he just had. A lot of times he'd have these challenging questions or these rough interactions with individuals who would criticize him or, or he'd have questions asked of him by his disciples. Like, Jesus, why do we do this? Well, and then he'd say, well, let me tell you a story about a farmer. Or let me tell you a story about a guy. And he'd, he'd use these short stories to cast alongside real life. It was a comparison tool. And through parables, Jesus could turn people's ears into eyes, because this was an oral tradition. This was an oral time where people learned through story. And parables usually would drive home a single point. So in a parable, when you're reading it, sometimes we want to get sidetracked and start trying to make all the parts of the parable something related to our lives. And so we might tell our kids, you know, get a job so you don't have to eat pig food, like the guy in the story that Jesus told, or And we might tie on to some of the things in the stories that aren't really the main point of the story. So the main point of the stories usually are figured out by reading the context, reading what is leading up to this parable. When Jesus tells a story, read the verses before, read the chapter leading up to it to understand what's the whole setting, what's the context, why would he be giving this short story? Why is he casting this story alongside something else? Probably the most famous parable... I think, is the parable of the prodigal son. It's found in Luke chapter 15. And I want to read portions that lead up to the parable. This is not in your listening guide, but if you'd like, you can pull out that listening guide because we are going to eventually get to that. And we'll follow along with that in just a moment. But Luke 15, 1 and 2, Jesus shares one of these parables, one of these stories. This is one of his main tools. And he says this in the very beginning. This is the occasion that Jesus chose to tell it. He's in doing ministries out in the crowds and it says, Now the tax collectors and the sinners were all gathering around to hear him. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and he even eats with them. It's interesting. Jesus is out in the crowds and all these people who are very different than Jesus, they're nothing like Jesus, they love him. The tax collectors, the sinners, the tax collectors cheated people. The sinners, that kind of involves, you know, the prostitutes, the people who were swindlers, just the sinful people, the pagan people of that day, all those people, they wanted to hear Jesus. So they got close to Him. They gathered around Him. And all the church people, all the religious folk, it says, the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, they kind of grumbled. This man, this Jesus, 
He welcomes sinners. He eats with them. Now, they're trying to discredit Jesus' ministry. They're trying to, to attack Jesus. And so, that's the situation. They're basically asking a question that I think comes up still today, which is the religious people are saying, who can really come to God? We think church is for church people. Right? We think you go to church because you're a church person. You don't go to church if you're not a church person. And that's a tension, I think, that churches deal with. Should we make the church for church people or unchurch people? And that's a big tension that churches fight about. My dad was a pastor, and I remember at one point he promoted an idea to our congregation growing up. And the idea was, hey, let's feed, let's feed the homeless and hungry at our church once a week. I'm sorry, not once a week. Every day of the week. And our church will choose one of those days. And he went to all the churches in the town and said, hey, would you choose a day? Would you choose a day? And so the whole town, all the churches adopted this kitchen, this food kitchen, and fed the homeless and hungry every single day, 365 days a year. They called it the People's Kitchen. And at noon, they would ring a bell, and hundreds of people would come, and they'd, they'd feed. Hundreds of people every day. The churches would do this together. Well, when my dad presented the idea to the congregation, people were arguing and, and angry about this. If we do this kind of event, a food kitchen, do you know who that's going to attract? Homeless people. There's going to be a lot of drugs, a lot of alcohol. And so people were stirred up because the church is for church people. We don't want those people at the church. And so there was a lot of people irritated about this idea. Well, they went ahead and did the idea, and sure enough, the complaint started coming in because church is for church people. And that's kind of like what's happening here. The Pharisees are like, hey, church is for church people, not, you know, what are these people hanging out with Jesus for? He's a religious teacher, claims to be from God and... That tension is still one that is alive today. So that's the occasion. And Jesus chooses to respond to the tension with a story. Verse 3 says, Then Jesus told them this parable. This is his response to the grumbling. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. He's he's capturing the imagery in their minds of this. Because this is, they're aware. Sheep, shepherd, they know this. Does he not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? When he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and his neighbors together and he says, Rejoice with me. I found my lost sheep. And then here's the main point of the parable. I tell you in the same way, here's the comparison, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Lost people matter to God. Jesus is saying, hey, this is his answer to their criticism. Lost people matter to God. And then he says it in a different way to just illustrate the point even further. Verse 8, or suppose a woman has ten silver coins. We've all done this. We've lost some money. Loses one of the coins. Does she not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. See, he's saying, there's rejoicing in heaven because, hey, in case you didn't hear me, the people that are grumbling, lost people matter to God. He doesn't even need to say it. He's he's communicating an eternal truth by sharing this story alongside the challenge he's facing because lost people matter to God. He does this over and over. Verse 11, he continues. Jesus continued. There was a man who had two sons. And then he goes into the story of the prodigal son. A story about a father who has two sons. 
One of them, the younger, says, he says to his dad, can I have my inheritance early? It's almost like telling your dad, I wish you were dead so I could have the money you're going to give me. It's insulting. Takes his money, he goes and spends it, lives a wild life, ends up burning through all the money. He has no food. He's hungry. He's, he gets this job working with pigs, feeding them their slop. And it says he, he's looking at the food that the pigs are eating and thinking, man, that looks really good. And then he's sitting there and he realizes, what am I doing? My father has servants who eat so good. I'll just go home. I need to go home. So he goes home. It's a story about, again, lost people matter to God because on his way home, he's rehearsing the story. The son, it says, is rehearsing his story so that when he arrives to his dad, he's ready for a big apology. I'm sorry, Dad, I've sinned against you. I've sinned against God in heaven. Would you please take me back in all this? And on his way in the gates, it's like his dad sees him. His dad runs to him, grabs hold of him, calls his servants and says, hey, kill the fattened calf. Get my best robe. Put ring on his finger. My son is home. Let's celebrate. Let's have a party. The older son is really irritated. Hey, I've been your good son. I've been here all along. And you didn't throw a party for me. He comes back. He blows through all this money. And he gets all... Again, the point is not... The point is lost people matter to God. Jesus shares this story to address an issue. Lost people matter to God. Oftentimes, when Jesus shared any of His parables, lots of people were listening in. Crowds of people would be listening in. He took the crowd opportunity as, not, as a chance to share a parable. And the interesting thing is, He would usually never explain the parable to the crowd. He would only explain it to His disciples when He was by Himself with His disciples. And so, oftentimes, the crowd... When they heard an unexplained parable, it was kind of like an impossible riddle and the meaning could only be guessed at. And it was, it was unusual, this form of communication. And Jesus' disciples one day, and this is on your listening guide, they asked Him, Hey Jesus, why do you use parables so often? Because they notice He's constantly sharing these stories. Why do you use parables? Verse 13, or chapter 13 of Matthew, verse 12 Jesus answers, this is why I use parables. He says this, Whoever has will be given more, and he will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. That's why I speak to them in parables. Though seeing, they don't see. Though hearing, they don't hear or understand. Well, thanks, Jesus. That really clears it up, doesn't it? We're all even more confused. Why does he share parables? It doesn't make sense. I mean... Let's break this down. He says, whoever has will be given more. Whoever has refers to those individuals that actually decided to trust Christ and to follow Him. The person who receives and trusts Christ, follows Christ, will receive further light. It says, whoever has will be given more. As we grow in obedience and maturity in the Lord, the longer you walk with Jesus, the more lights come on spiritually as we walk with Him. This is very true. And it says, over time, whoever has will receive more and will have it in abundance. Over the course of our life, if you walk with God, the lights come on more and more. Whoever has, the life will be given. And you will have it in abundance. Some of the stories of Scripture that I read growing up as a child, even as a teenager, made little to no sense until I received Christ personally for myself. Then all of a sudden, the lights came on and I'm reading the Scripture. I'm like, wow, that's me. That's me. I, I connect with that. I understand that. This is... Wow, this, is, this makes sense. That's what he's talking about. Parables made sense to those who, who are taking steps in direction to trust Christ. But then he says, whoever does not have, even what he, what, what he has will be taken from him. 
Many thousands of people, they heard Jesus teach, they saw Him perform miracles, but many people didn't receive Christ as Lord. And so they said no to Jesus, who would be the King, Savior, Lord. They said no to Jesus, and because of that, they refused to receive Him. What happened was they drifted deeper and deeper into spiritual darkness. It got dimmer and dimmer. It was taken away from them, in a sense. Take a look at the paraphrase of this same verse. This is a paraphrased version of the Bible known as the message. For further clarification, it says, whenever someone has a ready heart for this, this is the same set of verses, just more contemporary, it's a paraphrase. Whenever, whenever someone has a ready heart for this, the insights and understandings flow freely. But if there's no readiness, any trace of receptivity soon disappears. Then the paraphrase says that Jesus is saying, that's why I tell stories, to create readiness, to nudge the people towards receptive insight. So stories, what they do is they nudge us in a certain direction. The stories that Jesus told, they nudged people in a certain direction. His disciples who were responding, it nudged them closer and they got more insight. To those that didn't respond, it, you know, it, did, it, it was like things would bounce off them. Stories in our day and age, they nudge us a certain direction. When we watch movies, we're being pushed, we're being nudged gently, subtly. Sometimes we don't even realize what direction we're being nudged in. If we're following Jesus, if we have decided to yield our way to Him, we need to make sure that the movies that we watch and the songs that we listen to are actually nudging us in the direction that He wants our lives to go in. That's a big, big challenge and something we need to be aware of. We need to make sure... We're all going to watch movies, aren't we? But let's make sure we're being nudged in the right direction and at least understanding the direction we're being nudged in. It's okay to go to a movie you totally disagree with and you'd be like, and not be persuaded to do life the way that they just depicted Sometimes we watch movies and you're like, man, I'm so grateful that I don't do life that way. But we're being nudged. But we need to pay attention to the direction, to the media messages that are coming at us, to the songs we're taking in. I went in junior high, I went through a deaf leopard phase. And uh, it was elementary school and junior high. Deaf leopard phase. I had posters on the wall. I would blare the music. I knew the songs. Um, I didn't grow out the glamour hair or anything, in case you're wondering, but I did have a, a ripped and shredded muscle shirt with Def Leppard on the front. A couple of you guys might know what I'm talking about. But, uh, you know, and, I, and anytime I hear Def Leppard on the radio, or if I got classic rock on my radio in my car and Def Leppard comes on, or for that matter, a lot of the songs I grew up listening to, and I'm, I'm rocking out and I'm singing it, and then if my kids are in the car, Daddy, what's that mean? Pour some sugar on me. What does that mean, Daddy? Uh, he's a candy addict. He's a... It's a candy song. You know, we get, I can get real caught up in the music. I can get real caught up in the movies. Or if I'm watching a movie. You know, I, I'm so excited. My kid's finally old enough. He can watch this movie that I loved when I was watching as a kid growing up. I pop in and I watch the movie and all of a sudden I'm like... I didn't remember that was in there. Uh, Daddy, what's that mean? Well, you know, most of the songs about Def Leppard, if you break it down, they pretty much most of them all have to do with sex. And so, um, not all, but I would say most of the ones that, that we would know. But we're being nudged in a direction. We need to pay attention. What's the direction? And not Sometimes we check our brain out when we engage in media. Parables in the Bible. They communicated... Kingdom values, like God's values were communicated as Jesus shared these parables. 
Movies are like parables in our culture. These are our parables in a sense. They carry the values and the wisdom that our culture says is real and is true. They nudge us in a direction designed by the filmmaker. The filmmaker, those people are producing, they're, they're deciding what cultural values and ideas they're sending our way. Whenever the story of a movie connects with us with a deeper truth, it makes us think, we begin to process, we begin to enjoy those kinds of movies. Some of the most enduring movies, they connect deep, deep truths that just resonate in our hearts. We watch certain movies and it just makes us want to watch the sequel. You walk out of certain movies and you're like, I can't wait till the next one. Because certain things that, that just tug at our hearts, things that we know are true, can be depicted even in movies that are secular. They are a very, very powerful way to communicate. Some of the greatest films have themes that mirror the best films or the best themes of the Bible. Some of the things we learn in the Bible, the best themes, we see those things mirrored sometimes in the movies we watch. Like the David and Goliath story in the Bible where God uses this small shepherd boy to defeat this giant, this huge man that everyone's running and defeating, he's taunting the armies of Israel. And God uses this little man. You know, this underdog imagery who, who God has on His side. We see that idea is mirrored. Look at, here's one movie that I think mirrors the idea of David and Goliath. It's Rocky. The, the little guy takes on the big guy. Takes on the Russian, Rocky IV. I mean, pretty much in all the Rockies, you get this idea. He's the underdog. Well, there's something about Rockies that just stir in my heart. Like, man, I love that. I've heard those truths before. Now, they're not, they're not writing Rocky from the Bible. Oh, we're gonna, we want to do a modern-day David and Goliath. But you can walk out of movies like this, and you can say, you know what this reminds me of, son? Or to your friends, you know what that reminds me of? You can connect... What we're, learn, what, we, what we're being told over here and tie it to what the real truth actually is. Another film, well, Moses in the Red Sea. You know, Moses, you're familiar with the story where Moses, he leads the Egyptian or the Israelites out of Egyptian captivity. And it's like all hope is lost. They're going to be captured. Then God parts the Red Sea at the very last moment. And then he opens up the Red Sea, allows a million people walk through. And then... Pharaoh's armies pursuing them. They're, they see that the water's open, so they follow the Israelites. And at the very last second, God closes the Red Sea, sweeps away his enemies. It's like all hope is lost. All of a sudden, the last second miracle happens, saves the day. Um, this film, I think, does the same thing. Mission Impossible. Isn't it true that every time Mission Impossible happens, it's like at the very, very, very last millisecond, he hits the button detonates the bomb that's going to blow up the entire world. Everyone's about to fry. Everyone, Thank goodness for Ethan Hunt that he just repels in off of a helicopter, flies through flames on a motorcycle, and saves the day. Again, these themes, some of these themes, they resonate with some of the best themes of the Bible for us to make connections in our conversations. The theme of sacrifice and redemption, always very compelling when we watch movies that that talk about sacrifice and redemption. Obviously, the whole story of Jesus, God Himself coming, sacrificing Himself, offering His life up for us on a cross, laying His life down. You know, we, whenever we see a sacrifice type of character, who someone who just puts their own interest down, and again, it stirs our, something in our hearts. Cinderella Man, this is a movie that came out a few years back, 
about a boxer whose family is broke, barely making ends meet, just barely surviving. He's boxing to just be able to put food on the table, right? And we're cheering for him. There's this one scene in the movie where his family's hungry, his kids are trying to, you know, his kids, his daughter, I think, is trying to, she's still hungry. She, she asks, can I have your slice of bologna? And her dad sacrifices, he gives her slice of bologna. might not seem like a big deal, but he skips his meal. He has no food. The idea of sacrifice comes through a lot of movies. Or Braveheart, another movie where, you know, this theme of sacrifice, it compels us and we're, our, it stirs our heart towards noble themes like that. Knowing the Bible, when we get into the Bible, what it does is it enriches our movie viewing. We're able to watch movies with different understanding. This summer, we're identifying some of the strongest spiritual themes in these seven different movies that are coming up in the next um, throughout the summer. We're going to study what the Bible say about it. We're not studying the movies, just so you know. We're not going to study the movies and go scene by scene and talk about it in that way. But we're going to be looking at what are the themes that are coming in these movies, the strongest spiritual themes, because these themes that come out in movies are recurring cyclical themes that we're being told, cultural values that we're being told. And so we're not endorsing the movies. Some of them are R-rated, so we don't recommend going to see. I'm not going to see all these movies, but one idea behind this whole series is this. It's in your listening guide. Movies can reflect a general understanding of God and His wisdom. Movies can reflect a general understanding of God and His wisdom. The Bible makes it clear that God has revealed Himself to the entire world in a general way. Everyone in the world has some general understanding about God. Romans 1 tells us this. Romans 1.19 Since what may be known about God is plain to them, speaking of all people, because God has made it plain to them. See, God has revealed certain things about Himself to the whole world. This is a theological term called or it's general revelation is the idea. General revelation. Knowledge about God is available to all people. Things, and this is very true, I meet people all the time who learn things about God long before they heard the message of Jesus. And there's a process. Verse 20 says, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power, His divine nature have been clearly seen being understood from what has been made so that men are without excuse. God has been clearly revealing Himself to people since He formed this planet, since He formed mankind. The invisible things about God are made known to people as we interact with His created work. As we see what He's made, we put things together about the God who made the world that we live in. So whether we know the Bible or not, whether we follow Jesus or not, this other point is there's a certain amount of information about God available to everyone on the planet. That's general revelation. There's a man that wrote a book called Eternity in Their Hearts, a man named Don Richardson. And it's this book that I've got here, and I've been reading this book. It's, it's a fascinating book. shows how God has revealed Himself to hundreds of people group, groups throughout the world in a very general way in order to prepare them to hear about Jesus in a specific way. And so what he, he gives this quote and he says, No other message on earth has an inside track already laid for it in the belief system of thousands of very different human societies. And what he's writing about is the fact that missionaries, they'll go into these remote places that have never heard anything about Jesus. And it's like they'll know already parts of the story. People have dreams about, hey, two men are going to come. They're going to put up tents under these trees these tall white men are going to 
come. They're going to put up. You need to listen to what they're saying. I'm going to tell you about the one true God. And so these missionaries would come in and, and they'd begin to share and learn the language. And then the, the natives would say, we, we knew you're coming. We had a dream about that. We know these things about the one true God. And they would believe in these other gods and deities, but they, they, so many cultures share these stories about missionaries coming and them already knowing in general certain things about God. What they needed was the specifics about Jesus Christ. Paul used this reality in Athens. Acts chapter 17 would be a good thing to study. Acts 17 gets verses 16 through 27 gets at a point where Paul, he understood that he could engage a culture who knew certain things about God already. They didn't know about Jesus, but they knew about the one true God. Because this place had an altar that was dedicated to the unknown God who had worked a miracle six centuries before. You can read about that in Acts 17. It's a really powerful story there. But God is working. He is working in cultures long before they hear the message from missionaries. He's working... And his point of revealing things generally is to prepare people to hear and to understand the good news or the gospel about Jesus Christ. He wants to prepare people to hear the message about his son Jesus. And so in a similar way, we can kind of launch from the movies and the themes to the truth about God. If we're wise about what God says in the Bible, we can learn how to connect the dots for people to spiritual truth. God wants us to move from just a general idea about him to a personal understanding and friendship with Him. We can enjoy movies. We can appreciate our culture without getting totally caught up in it. If you follow Christ, like I said, it's important. On the back here it says, box office wisdom, this is important for us to remember, box office wisdom must match God's Word to be real. So we can take things away from movies, but if it's going to be real wisdom, it needs to match God's Word, the Bible, to be real. Paul said it this way in Romans 12.2 to the Christians in Rome, people who had come out of a very pagan culture, he said, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. Meaning, don't just become so adjusted to your culture that you fit right into it without even thinking about it. Don't be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed. It's the word where we get, this Greek word is where we get the word metamorphosis. It's total change from the inside out. He says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind, then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. So what we're wanting to do is we want to look at how do you decipher the message of a movie? How do you recognize real wisdom? Because movies and songs in our culture, they again, they have this strong pull in a definite direction that has been predetermined by the writers, by the directors. If we were to trace some of the strongest ideas that our culture is dealing with, some of the issues of our culture war, our modern culture war, some of those come straight out of Hollywood and movies. We, we need to understand and make the connection that how strong the media is. It's easy for people today to just operate out of notions and impressions and ideas that we picked up from the movies. We need to check the notions and the ideas in our mind against the Scripture. Steven Spielberg, he's obviously a very well-known director, you know, when he writes his movies, he doesn't build his movies on the timeless truths of the Bible. You know, but they're trying to communicate things. They're communicating values. Here's an example from Steven Spielberg. There's a quote on his movie, Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Take a look at this. It says, when older people, he wrote this movie, and he says, when older people read my script, 
before the film was ever produced, when older people read the script, they wanted me to make a single man who wouldn't have to give up his family. He says, I saw it as a story about a man who has to follow his dream, his obsession, to its natural conclusion. Everybody of my generation got it, but everybody older thought it was irresponsible. Then he says, but I must tell you, I would have never written it that way today. Now that I have seven children of, you know, seven children, never. I would never write a story today that encourages the father and the husband to abandon his family. That's why older people are so valuable in the Bible. It's because those who've walked with God for so many years, they contest and recognize counterfeit wisdom when they see it. Older people are like, you can't write that movie. You can't direct that movie. The thing about the message that's sending. Well, Spielberg was in a different generation that valued something different. And then looking back, he said, oh my goodness, I would have never done that now. His values had changed. To counter the tendency to just collect ideas and notions that aren't tested, we need to do these things. First, filter the ideas you collect through the truths in the Bible. Filter all the ideas you get in the media. Filter those things. We should make sure we don't just collect ideas and stack them up in our minds and start basing reality and our lives off of them. Instead, Paul told the church in Corinth this. He said to screen every thought. He says, we demolish arguments and every pretension. These are thoughts that set itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. If we don't do this, if we don't evaluate the ideas that we collect from movies, from the media, from the music, what they can do is they can produce harmful attitudes and behaviors deep inside of us. And they can begin to work their way into our parenting, into our marriage, into our management of our life, our work, our money. All those things, they just they seep in. Values seep into our hearts and they work their, themselves out in our lives. And the results reflect you know, the damage of the cultural values and not the biblical values that we would want. Here's some common themes on TV. I'm just going to state a few of these. These are some common themes that come up in TV and in the movies. One of them is have faith in yourself. That's a theme you see a lot, right? Have faith. Just believe in yourself. Secondly, morality is a matter of personal value. Or another one is kids are wiser than their parents. Don't you see that in movies a lot? Where the kids are like the hero. They're amazing. They're super smart. And the parents are idiots, right? Like, that's a theme in movies. That's a, that's a value that's being pushed. We're being nudged. Kids are being nudged. That impacts behavior at home. Another theme in the movies and on TV are, is men are inept. You don't need to respond to that. But that's a theme that's being pushed. Another one is committed Christians are lunatics and out of touch with reality. Another one is every form of sexual adventurism is acceptable. Or witches and people with supernatural power are normal and they're nice. Tolerance is among the highest values. Consumerism, that's the answer to your problems. Or this is one theme we always hear. Stay tuned because you don't want to miss out. And you're just like, I can't miss it. If I miss it, it might. You know, so we're being we captured by these themes. So what we have to do is, again, we have to guard against collecting all these ideas because box office wisdom must match with God's Word to be real. Beyond just filtering ideas, we need to watch out for what's called imitation value extracts. Imitation value extracts. I'm going to show you a film in just a moment. One of the dangerous things we can do is to stay general with our thinking. 
is just keep things in general. God has revealed Himself in a very general way, like we said, to the entire world, but only so that we can get to know Him personally and learn how to walk with Him. I want to show you this brief, it's, it's not that brief, but it's, it's an enjoyable video clip. Listen to this explanation of imitation value extracts. I think the most dangerous feature of mainstream family-friendly films is the ubiquitous inclusion of what I call imitation value extracts. These are virtues or convictions that have been extracted from their context. They're ready-made virtues. It's easy to account, or should I say bank account, for their existence. Hollywood producers want to make as much money as possible from their films, naturally. In order to do this, they have to attract as many viewers as possible. This means it's important for them to neutralize any elements in their films that might unduly offend any potential market. Thus, value extracts allow any number of viewers with vastly different substantive beliefs to pour their own definitions, sources, and foundations into the generalized, non-exclusive frameworks of any given film. Allow me a detour for a moment to talk about an interesting biblical backdrop for this discussion. The word translated medium in the Old Testament, meaning necromancer or sorcerer, is the Hebrew word ob. Forgive me if I'm not pronouncing that right, but it means empty wineskin. This means that the mediums, the media, emptied themselves out so that they could be filled with any passing spirit. In the same way, Hollywood has embraced a stance of tolerant pluralism, emptying itself of any divisive or exclusive convictions so as to be open to the opinions, and especially the money, of any passing viewer. Let's look at a few examples of objectless, foundationless value extracts in family films. Consider the movie Prince of Egypt, DreamWorks Animation's first film, which is loosely based on the biblical account of Moses. The theme song for the film is entitled, When You Believe. The chorus to this song is, There can be miracles when you believe. Though hope is frail, it's hard to kill. Okay, so anyway, it goes on. Who knows what miracles you can achieve when you believe. Somehow you will. You will when you believe. This is a great example of extracted values. Here, the faith and hope have no object. Their value is intrinsic. The focus is on the individual's act of belief, not on the object of his belief. You can achieve miracles if you believe, even if what you believe in doesn't exist. There is power in the act of belief. Belief is its own reward. It doesn't matter what or who you believe in, just that you believe. The belief itself is what is valuable about religion because it gives you the strength to carry on through difficult times. I wish this were the only example of imitation faith extract, but it isn't. Here are a few more examples. The first song for the ending credits of The Voyage of the Dawn Treader contains these lines, and I'll spare you my singing this time around. We can be the kings and queens of anything if we believe. It's written in the stars that shine above, a world where you and I belong, where faith and love will keep us strong. Exactly who we are is just enough. 
Again, fuzzy feelings. And these lines, we see both faith and love operating as value extracts, totally separated from any object. This would be bad enough, but consider this testimony from Liam Neeson, who has played Aslan in all the Narnia movies so far. He says, Aslan symbolizes a Christ-like figure, but he also symbolizes for me Muhammad, Buddha, and all the great spiritual leaders and prophets over the centuries. That's who Aslan stands for, as well as a mentor figure for kids. That's what he means for me. Hmm. So the movie has been designed so that any religious belief can fit into its framework. It has been stripped of political incorrectness by removing or primarily neutralizing Christian truths that would exclude other beliefs. Notice again the emphasis on self. In fact, if mainstream family movies give any object for faith, it is always the self. How many times have you heard the platitude, you've just got to believe in yourself? Something in me thinks that C.S. Lewis would not be terribly happy about the marketizing neutralization of his specifically and obviously Christian stories. But I guess there's no way to tell until we get to somewhere in the stars where you and I belong. And then we can ask him. <laughs> thought you'd enjoy that. Just because Hollywood picks up a biblical storyline does not mean that they have the same purpose in mind that God did with the Bible. For example, C.S. Lewis's thoughts on Aslan were, you know, he's Aslan, the lion's representative of Christ. And you see where the direction that eh, kind of got shifted. And so I'm not saying to boycott Hollywood. I'm not saying pick at the, the movies necessarily. But we need to think about imitation value extracts, the things that seem like, oh man, it seems like it's value. It seems like it's value-based. Well, it may not be real. It may be an imitation value. Something extracted out of the culture that resembles truth. But, and we need to be wise when we're watching movies. We need to discern if the message matches up with God's Word. If we can't do this, or if we don't do this, I should say, then our kids are exposed, and we're exposed to all sorts of lies. We need to discern and, and help our kids understand you know what that just showed? It showed this. Let's talk about it. Let's engage. Let's engage. Let's discuss as a family what that was presenting. Let's wrestle with this together. I heard a radio interview of an author whose book got picked up by Hollywood. She wrote this book. If I was an author and I wrote a book, it'd be my baby. I'd feel like nobody messed with this. But if you sell that book to Hollywood, the rules change. And so I guess the saying, well, what happened was Hollywood picked up her book and they changed it. The movie they produced and the book she wrote, very, very different. She was ticked. She was irritated. She was being interviewed and she was really frustrated at this whole thing. But she said the saying goes around authors who sell their books to Hollywood is this. When you sell the rights of your book to Hollywood, it's like sending your four-year-old to a preschool run by Jeffrey Dahmer. <laughs> it's not your baby anymore. You know, you've given up the rights. So we need to watch out for imitation Value extracts. And the way we do that is we dig into the Bible for yourself, for ourselves regularly. Psalm 19, verse 7, up there on the screen. The law of the Lord, God's Word, is perfect. It's full, it's without defect, and it's reviving to the soul. The, the statutes of the Lord, I mean, again, God's Word, they're trustworthy. They can be counted on. They're absolutely reliable, firmly established truths. They make wise the simple. This is how we guard ourselves from value imitation. 
extracts is we dig into the Bible, we know the truth, we grow in wisdom because we all are we all start out pretty simple. This is what makes us wise over time. We dig into the scripture. The ideas in the Bible, they're from the one who made us. They've been time tested and proven. Whenever you study the Bible, whenever you hear it, you read it, you memorize, you meditate upon it, when you apply it to your life, you begin to develop something called discernment where you yourself begin to recognize counterfeit wisdom. Look at this quote from Charles Spurgeon, a famous British preacher. He said, Discernment is not a matter of simply telling the difference between right and wrong. Rather, it is telling the differences between right and almost right. That's what happens as we dig into the Scripture. We begin to, "Eh, it looks right, but it's not quite right. We We need to uncover the things that are almost right for our families, for ourselves. Remember, box office wisdom must match God's Word to be real. I want to wrap up this message this morning by asking you to think through your next steps. If you take out that connection card, that white card, and you see on the bottom of your outline, and on the back of this card, you can check these and just let us know how you're going to be um, applying. If you, if you choose to re- you know, take a step in, in these directions as a way to apply the message this morning, the first one is this. In the band, you guys can go ahead and make your way up. Memorize Psalm 19.7. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. Statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise and simple. Just getting into the Scripture, knowing, you know, memorizing, taking that in, as we do that, it's the key to insulating our mind against wrong thinking. Secondly, set a goal to read the Bible and apply it X number of days each week. Maybe set a goal for yourself. I would like to start getting into the Scripture. I'd like to learn what God has to say is true. I take in all this media. We take in day after day of, of radio, movies, TV, why not set a goal to, to grow in your understanding of what God has to say? And then the last one on there is practice uncovering the message in a movie or TV show this week. That is tied to this other insert that you have in there, box office wisdom, how to uncover the message of a movie. Basically, this is kind of like an assignment. Take this if you want and watch a movie and begin to work through these questions by yourself or with your family. And I want to encourage you to invite some people out. Again, movies carry the values of our culture. What a great way for us to, to connect with some things that people are going to be watching this summer as we, uh, there's a handful of men from our church that will be helping give these messages. And so I hope you'll come back and you see on the back, this is set up to give away. And so give this away and invite people to come with you. In just a moment, we're going to be receiving our offering. And uh, make sure you drop this white card in the offering baskets when they come around. And let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we love you. We thank you for your goodness, for your faithfulness. We thank you for the truth that's in your word that has been tested. And you, it's proven too, true time and time again. Many of us have experienced this truth in our lives. And God, I pray that each of us, God, would build our lives upon the firm foundation of the word of God. That we would, in that way, insulate our minds and our thinking to guard against being nudged in directions that are not helpful or healthy. God, help us not to run for the hills and check out of engaging this culture. Help us to engage this culture where they're at. Just as Jesus engaged the people that he interacted with, using stories and parables, Lord, to draw deeper truths, I pray we would think through how can we use the movies of our day, Lord, to engage the culture you've placed us in, Lord. Help us not to be conformed to this world, but to be transformed, Lord, as you renew our mind. We love you. We pray for those that are searching here, that are still have not yet decided to follow you. I pray that 
God, you would be continuing to reveal more about yourself, Lord, that the message of your Son, the sacrifice you made through offering your Son to forgive us of our sins, Lord, I pray that that would move people to respond to you, God. And I pray that you continue to work in our lives, growing us towards more maturity as we learn to walk with you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.